welcome to um, the last Wednesday in January. It's <laughs> freezing. It feels like the dog days of winter. Whatever that means. It's just really cool. Isn't that the truth? Thanks for coming out. Um, so we have three topics tonight, as always. Our first topic, we're continuing on in our study of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, last week, we covered the rest of Acts 13, and we're moving right on in to Acts 14. This is uh, going to be just verse 1 through 7. We're not covering as much territory as we did last week. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. It's Acts chapter 14, verse 1. You bet. Uh, and it came to pass in Iconium that they entered together into the synagogue of the Jews. Tony, would you shut that door real quick? Thanks, sir. Uh, and Tony's sitting in for Ryan today. Uh, I think he's so far replaced each panelist except me so far. Uh, and it came to pass in Iconium that they entered together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed so they preached the gospel, and both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews that were disobedient stirred up the souls of the Gentiles and made them evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, they tarried, therefore, speaking boldly in the Lord, who bear witness under the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was made an onset both of the Gentiles and of the Jews with their rulers, to treat them shamefully and stone them, they became aware of it and fled into the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, Derby, and the region roundabout. And there they preached the gospel. Almost seems like there's a pattern developing. There here. is absolutely, and it's going it, to. This pattern is going to play several times uh, in these missionary journeys because it's just pretty much. It, it's very similar to what's going on in our nation. Uh, that if you go to a biology class or if you go to a history class, you're going to hear the same want, want, want stuff. And, of course, in that situation, uh, you know, you're going to hear secular humanism. In this particular situation, the Jews and the Gentiles just constantly heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas, and they got mixed results. Yeah, I mean, even in just this short seven passages of this that we just read, it begins and ends with the same thing, preaching the gospel. Um, if you back up just a little where we ended last week in Acts chapter 13, um, so here they are at Antioch and Pisidia, and they throw down the gospel message again. Some get saved, some get angry, right. uh, same, thing. same um, thing. But it says in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, so mission accomplished. Right. And then here we are, verse 50, next verse, the Jews stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and, you know, drove them out of the district. So um, so what do they do? What now? Do they quit? Do they call a meeting? Do they try to get some different training, some new methods, a uh, new delivery? Uh, should we study more? Should What do we need to do? No. They just move on down the road, literally, and start preaching the gospel. Right. They stuck to the plan, uh, and the plan was preach the gospel. Uh, the plan was to take the gospel to those that are receptive. Brad and I heard a message at one of these famous uh, Bailey Smith conferences that I talk about quite a bit. And I went to a handful of those when oh I was a little Oh, my goodness, I loved girl. them. I didn't realize then how big of a deal that I was. I loved them. But. Well, when you were a little girl, I was a young preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brad and I were, were getting started here and the such. So we... We heard this guy, and I want to say his last name was Revis, but I'm not sure. But he was just a little sawed-off fella, and I mean, he could preach not like that. There's no, anything wrong? Not with that there's anything wrong with that, but he could preach. I mean, he was just a little stick of dynamite, and he preached a message similar to this, 
meaning it may have been one of these passages, but his points were uh, some heard, some scoffed, and then the last part was some believed. And so you're, you're going to have all that. Some are just going to listen. And that's nice. That's really nice. You know, and those that's the crowd that, well, truth is relative. That's truth for you. There's, there's many ways for, uh, to get right. to God. That's right. Many roads lead to heaven. Mm-hmm. And then the next group are like, you're not telling me that I'm a sinner. And they scoff and they persecute and such. And then the next group goes, goes tell me how. I, I, want, I want to hear more. And so, you know, even though those other two crowds are discouraging and difficult and, and hurtful a lot of times, um, that last crowd is... It, you know, it's, it's us. I mean, we're, we're part of that crowd that said, I, I want to hear more. They stuck to the plan. It's almost like the parable of the wheat and the tares. Yes. The, the gospel's presented. People are starting to move and to, to believe. And then the, the power brokers of the time see their influence draining away. And then they've got to stop the, the, the losses of their influence. Um, so they obviously have to oppose the, the presentation of this new philosophy or this new teaching um, about Christ and what God's doing in the world. But almost as soon as the wheat is, is sown, the tares are sown at the same right. time. And, and you can't tear up one without tearing the other. Correct. So They, they come up together. Yeah. I think we're going to get more into this as we move through, but there's a lot of would-be assassination attempts mm-hmm. on Paul. And it's just clearly that if they were going to kill Jesus and did, they carried out the plan. You know that, and it was God's plan for Jesus to die right. on the cross for us. That's right. But you can tell it's his plan to protect Paul. Right. Um, not that he didn't endure stonings and difficult right. oh, travels he, and sickness. <laughs> and, I mean, he comes limping back around a few times. But, I mean, he it God protected them. And even here it says they remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord in verse 3. Um God had to be protecting them because they didn't just peel out. They stayed there a while and just kept throwing out the gospel message. They didn't just leave. Correct. And some of that is because Paul had a huge dose of, I deserve eternal punishment. I deserve earthly punishment for how I behaved and and treated the church. And yet here I am preaching the gospel. And so... I think that's healthy for us to remember who we were at one time, what we deserve, and but but yet, because of Christ, what we're going to get. And so that gives us resolve. And then you have the other side of it, if you will, God's side of it. Uh, we're invincible until he's done with us. I, I mean, we're bulletproof until he's done with us. Uh, and I, I don't ever believe or mean to say that we cannot affect our own end date. I believe we can, you know. Uh, you, you look at a, a diabetic's situation, you can very much hasten your death date, in my humble opinion. With that said, if you're obedient to Scripture, if you're obedient to God, th- that, that goes a long ways. And so uh, I, I believe that if a child of God is submissive to him and does what he wants him to do, he doesn't have to worry about uh, the devil, the world, killing him because he's invincible till God's done with him. Paul did not die a day before God was ready mm-hmm. for him to go. I have this mental picture. I, I, I copied that from you to try to picture what's going on. But you can imagine, and 
I've recently become aware that they had stoning pits where the person Ooh. was down in the pit, and yeah. so, so it was well, it's not easy. as bad on the rotator yeah, cuff. That way. Easier on the yeah. Yeah. I mean, those drugs are heavy. Yeah, that's right. like you really They had sports <laughs> medicine back then. <laughs> it's better to throw down. Okay, that's right. It's, it's terrible. Gravity's working with you. Yeah, basic um, kinesiology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, could, you could just shovel at that point. <laughs> You're going to bury them anyway. In, whatever That's right. You do. But I see the... You imagine uh, the poor guy that has to empty the pit afterwards. Because somebody has to bring oh. the rocks back up oh, yeah. to the rim. <laughs> so I see Paul in this, just, just basically just parts of his garment are exposed on the rocks. And all of the, the throwers are gone. And just the people who have believed are left behind. And then you start hearing rocks move mm-hmm. down at the bottom of the pit. And mm-hmm. you see, there's something to this guy. Something to this guy's message. Can I get a hand? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so in verse 4, it's talking about the city was divided. We talked about that. They split the city. Some believed and some didn't, but there was trouble brewing. Um, I was... As usual, go to John MacArthur to study almost all of um, anything that comes out of me that sounds quasi-intelligent. 100% came from something I read or heard from him. Um, But he said, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but the sword. Um, So this was kind of part of it to be expected. Um, So when they get kicked out and they still leave their mark on the town. Um, So I failed to bring my phone with me with this exact quote, but so I'm going to have to summarize it. Um, but in the second century, the town of Iconium that they're in still had readings about Paul. So not in mm. scripture, but in other literature, right. like historical literature. And they had a description of Paul that said he was short, bigger nose, bushy eyebrows. This is like not an awesome description, kind of bow-legged. Uh, it's a, a start. And <laughs> it might have been. And, uh, but then it said sometimes he had the face of a man and sometimes the face of an angel. Um, but they had writings about Paul even two centuries later, um, which is interesting. He left his mark. Well, you talk about um, that Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, that's reference to the different approaches that people are going to take. You know, a, a dad is going to choose to serve the Lord. A mom maybe is going to stay true to her father's teaching about Judaism her son is going to choose the Lord, maybe, and then her, her daughter, you know, it, it, again. And, and may have been exposed to Greek gods, too. Well, absolutely. Son may have been. Absolutely. The uh, thought when you were talking about that this divided the city, this was what was for dinner. Uh, I mean, this was the discussion, you know. So, so what do you guys think about this new guy, Paul, you know? And, and then there you go. You know, one guy says, well, I think it's blasphemous that he's saying there's another way, quote, unquote, to heaven. And then the next person says, well, I, but, but. I mean, what is this way that he's talking about? How do we know it's not the way? You know, and, and, and there you go. So we have a few discussion questions if we can try to get through this. Um, we're good on time. So we're called to make disciples of all nations, and we ourselves are supposed to be disciples. So what would you say, based on what we've just read here um, and covered in the last few weeks, what are characteristics of a good disciple um, that Paul and Barnabas have shown? Uh, at times, do we have hard time a hard time calling ourselves a disciple? Um, is that like a hard, like really, I'm supposed to, yeah. don't, don't call me a disciple. That seems a little too deep. Right. Well, and I think that depends upon the person. Um, we, we try to establish here that, that if you're serious about Christ, you, you're a disciple type deal. Uh, a disciple is a follower. Uh, another word for disciple is a learner. Are you learning about Christ and the such? And certainly... Uh, the approach we take at Bethel, whether it's through Sunday school or worship services, Awana, CR, 
we're trying to learn about Christ and therefore follow him. With that said, I mean, we've already pretty much said what the greatest characteristic about them was and that it was they had a plan and they stuck to it. And so, you know, that, that's the question for you and I. Do, do we have a plan to carry out our discipleship and, and are we sticking to it? And, and, you know, I mean, I think any of us has to uh, be truthful and say, well, it, it, it's a, one of those things of uh, life's a series of new beginnings. You know, I, I've started and stopped my plan. You know, I can't count all the times. The key is, do I keep starting again? And so if we keep starting again, then, then we're, we've got a plan and we're sticking to it. Success is not final. Failure is not Failure's final. Failure is not final with Jesus, right. To continue that, that, that counts, uh, Churchill. Yes, so the fact that you're a disciple, you're not a professor. You're not a um, dignitary. You're not a an expert. You're a disciple. That means you're constantly following and learning uh, new. That doesn't make disqualify you for speaking with authority on what's Correct. being taught. But it just says I'm not the end of all uh, decisions here. I'm a follower. So that that admits that I'm imperfect. I'm working, you know, still working on who I am. Um, I think that's a perfect description and title of someone who's following following Jesus. I think one of the things that's important in this particular area is: do we evaluate? Do, do we stop and go, okay, Lord, am, am I your disciple? Am I discipling? And and one of the questions I always have for people to help them determine. Is there a name on your heart right now that the Holy Spirit has placed there that you're either trying to actively be a witness to them, uh, share Christ with them, or help them down further down the road in their discipleship? And uh, I think most of us hopefully would say, well, absolutely. And, and if we don't, then <laughs> we need to start there. You know, Lord, give me a name. Uh, and, and so I love what Brad brought to us after about three or four Youth Lives ago, the three chairs. Mm-hmm. You know, the first chair is you're receiving from someone in the second chair. So you're a disciple. You're being discipled from someone. Well, the second chair is you are a discipler. So you've got someone in the first chair that you're helping come to Christ. But then someone's in the third chair for you. You're learning from them. And then the key is to stay in that second chair. After you've been in the first chair long enough, and it doesn't take very long. You know, I heard someone say, all you need to be to be a leader is one step ahead. So, you know, let's say there's six lessons in your discipleship book, if you will. If you're on lesson two, it's time to go get a disciple. <laughs> <laughs> That's like in the medical field. We say see one, do one, teach one. There you go. There um, you go. So I think courage, you mentioned courage, is um, part of being a disciple. Just the courage to share, the courage to fail, the courage to try again. Um, mm. I put not easily deterred. Right. Um grit, if you will. I feel like grit in general is um, a descriptive word long gone to my personal generation, but just grit um, even in your faith. Like, this is not going to be easy. I'm going to get in this. Um, When it's uncomfortable, I'm still going to pursue my faith and speak my faith and influence the people around me, whatever my mission field is. Mm. Whenever you have experienced one of those stonings to do some self-evaluation, did, yeah. did I do something wrong to bring it on? Right. If I didn't, right. are we okay? Continue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so w- one thought to uh, just to bring a, a family analogy to this, you know, how many parents, and, and uh, you know, we won't say any names, okay, but 
Why did he point at Tara? Right? I don't know. We, we, we probably all. I just wanted her to know. I wasn't like, saying the most dysfunctional yeah. family I can think of in the moment. We, we, <laughs> little do you know. That is not true. <laughs> we probably all know one or two parents that doesn't fit into the category that I'm fixing to say. Okay? And that's not necessarily good for them. Most of us and most of the parents that we know do not claim to have raised their children right or claim to have the book on it or claim to be qualified to give anyone else advice. Oh, I constantly think, I'm in charge of these kids. Right, Who's idea right. was this? We're very humble yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the such because, Lord, help us. We're just trying to do the best we can. But no matter how, quote, unquote, screwed up we think we messed our kids up, when those grandkids come, we're ready to sign up again. <laughs> Let's give her, you know, this is a new opportunity. New beginning. Yeah, that's right. So that's the way we ought to be uh, w with discipleship. I mean, you know, sure, you may not have people proclaiming, I'm a disciple of, you know, so-and-so, but yet do you, are, are you in the, the fray? I like to call it that. You know, are you in the trenches? And then if you go through that stoning experience anyway and you get up and you start saying the same thing again, what does that say to other people? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's serious. <laughs> I think their greatest characteristic that if I needed to be any of these things, it would be bold. Right. Like they were bold. They were the definition of boldness without a doubt. And without that, you're just going to keep folding, right? I mean, they would have given up a long time ago. And, and so let's take that one step further. Why do you think they were so bold? I, I really do believe that we can get this down to they, they just had an intense love for the Lord. I mean, they, they just loved him. They were so grateful for what he had done for them. But, I mean, and they had, they had recency bias, and I mean that in a good sense. They had seen him on the cross. They had seen his empty tomb. They had recency bias. Well, now you and I aren't going to have that benefit. So we've got to keep our nose in the book and, and keep that love generated as, as much as we can, reminding ourselves of what Christ did for us. Because that brings boldness, you know. Um, I, again, I feel like the same is true uh, in a marriage or in relationships, the closer you are to that person, the bolder you are about their relationship. Defending it, clinging to it. All right. Um, so if we are called to be disciples um, to others, what is our mission field? So um, is our mission field supposed to be overseas? What, what should we consider our mission field? And it certainly could be. And, and that, that is up to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, something that's well established here is your sphere of influence, your, your world. And, and I'm told by the smart people that the Great Commission, uh, go ye therefore, that literally means go into your world. That, that's what it means. So for you, it's Mercy Hospital. Mm -hmm. For you, it's, you know, house over here off of uh, Highway 30, so on and so forth. And uh, so, and we all have our own sphere of influence. You know, I, you meet people every day that I don't ever see, you know, type deal. I'm not going to influence them except for the influence I've had on you and vice versa. And so I truly do believe it's our, I mean, they were going on a mission trip, so their sphere of influence changed at every city. Well, yours and mine doesn't as a general rule. Now, we, we just met two people in their late 50s going to Africa. So they've been called in their latter days to go to Africa. You know, of course, if we're not careful, our mindset is, Lord, you know, call them, call them, but stay away from, you know, 641 Bethel Church Road, you know, type deal. But, but yet, you know, the reality, again, is if we love the Lord, whatever he tells us to do, sooner or later, we're going to embrace that. Amen.
So if our spiritual gift isn't teaching or preaching, are we off the hook? <laughs> Do we not get, does this mean you we're not, have to be a disciple? <laughs> like I'm thinking of Moses, like, well, I can't talk. Right. How how am I supposed to do this? And, 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 you know, we all struggle with that, and we all hope and pray that that's the case. It, it, it's not. I, you know, preaching and teaching certainly is a beneficial gift, if you will, uh, but the reality is uh, preaching the gospel, discipling, that's got nothing to do with our giftedness. It's got everything to do with our calling. And so, uh, yes, a quote-unquote ordained preacher has a different, not a better, not a higher. He has a different calling than everyone else, but everybody has the call to be a disciple and to disciple others. Yeah, you may be, you may have the opportunity to testify, and you don't have to be a lawyer to testify. You don't have to be a judge to testify. You don't have to be an expert in the law to testify. You simply say say what you've seen or experienced. Truth. And you may be talking to somebody who doesn't have, so a non-believer who's got no interest in teaching or um, speaking in front of people, and they're, that's completely alien to them too, you would probably relate to them very well. So you're just called to, to be a witness to the things that you've experienced and seen. And the word is faithful. You know, we're, we're, we're not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. Uh, and that's the key. All right, so how do we continue to share our faith despite opposition? So you finally worked up the courage to talk to someone, share your faith. Um, it's not a family member. It's, say, a coworker or a friend. And uh, Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, a girl I went to high school with, we got together. Um, I hadn't seen her in 15 years at least. And she was living on the other side of the country. And what's going on in your life? How are things? And during the conversation, something came up where she said, my best friend, and she is my best friend, told me that she's afraid that, um, you know, I'm not going to go to heaven because I don't believe in Christ. And she was insulted by that and mm. said, I don't, I, you know, I've lost my best friend now. Oh, boy. So, you know, not only did she reject the whole her friend laid out a gospel message. Mm. True. And it sounded like her friend it was very heartfelt, like she was genuinely concerned for her soul. Right. And she got mad. And uh, sounded like disowned the friend from the conversation. Um, how do you go on after something opposition like that, loss of a friendship, oversharing your faith um, in a way that you're genuinely concerned for the person? I've not had that happen, um, but I, I'm sure people have. Or, you know, just the, the loss of a relationship of some form or um, something in the workplace or when you've tried to share your faith and it's gone wrong. How do you uh, continue on after that? Because Paul and Barnabas are really, <laughs> that's all they're doing. Right. So sometimes the the most successful seed planted is planted in a wound. And, and that wounding between friends certainly piqued her ears towards the gospel and may have, unfortunately, it could have caused her to shut that off, but then to not hear anything else about the gospel. But her friend's continued approach to her is, is important. I, I, I still love you. I'm still, still your friend. I'm sorry that I've offended you, offended you with this, but, but I have a genuine concern about you. And still pursuing that friendship, even though there's a wound. And I think sometimes in a wound is the best place for the gospel to take roots. It's a, uh, an area of ground that's been stirred or uh, plowed or disked. 
it's more likely or more easily takes root roots in a, a soil like that. So don't be, still be faithful to the message, but once you've delivered the message, you can't stop loving the person that you delivered it to, and that is the the water and the you know the the, the rain on the seed. Um, God does the rest. You, you just you just got to be faithful to deliver to deliver the seed, um, the truth. So, well, and is this not a, a outcropping of the verse that you talked about? I came to bring a sword. Okay, so so and, and I'm going to tell you that this particular we could spend the rest of the time on this, the book that we just went through in our 5:30 time. The the friend that that if you will the gospel friend. She's got to make sure that she didn't share or, or that she didn't become a friend to this person just for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And we call the, the book called that the ulterior motive. But sharing the gospel in any friendship is always the ultimate motive, if you will. Uh, but it can't be the ulterior motive. We, we should not, and this was a new thing for me, we should not enter into a relationship, quote unquote, just to share the gospel with them. We should enter into a relationship because we love them and because God has commanded us to love all people uh, and, and the such. And so as we love them, it will be a natural. And, and I dare say that this particular friend was treating it as an ultimate you know, opportunity as opposed to an ulterior. Well, it, for her, it came down to the point. It's time. It, you know, we, we've got a deep friendship. She calls me her best friend. I call her my best friend. I really want this person to go to heaven. So she shares the gospel. Well, a sword comes in. And, and then now you get to what Dr. Hooks is talking about. If, if, if you're the friend that was talking to you, if she continues on that separation, hopefully this friend is still reaching out to her. But sooner or later, and, and I, this is an exciting thing in my mindset, the hounds of heaven have been released upon this young lady. God wants this lady. God, God is trying to pursue her. And so someone else is going to come and water that seed and, and cultivate that seed. Yeah, and I think that when you think about how do you overcome, um, you know, this disappointment, if you will, um, just keeping your eye on the prize. It's going right. to be worth it. If you did lose the friendship, yeah. if you see her in heaven someday, it will have been uh, worth well, it. Well, right. Yeah, 10 million years from now, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, when they finally meet each other in heaven, if they have so separated that they don't know uh, that, the, that they both, you know, that the one has come to the Lord. And, and a short answer for me for that particular question, because we got sidetracked with, with that. I mean, it was a good sidetrack. Uh, the same way you overcome all difficulties. I mean, every person in this room has had a difficulty at work. How do you overcome that? You work mm -hmm. through it. You pray through it. You love through it. And so I believe that the, and, and I think most of us would admit, unfortunately, though, Christians don't work through this very well. That they almost separate this from other trials of life, and they think, well, if that's the way the Lord's going to treat me, I'm done. <laughs> you know? Well, come on now. You didn't do that with your work because you, you want a paycheck. You need a paycheck. And you certainly don't want Jesus to do that to you. That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, hey, okay, amen. I'm done with you. Yep. Yep. All right. We're out of time for that. We so are out of we're time. on to, uh, I'm just saying, did anybody come prepared? I failed today. I failed. I you got All one, right. Tony. Let's yep. hear it. Uh, let me get to it. Tony's comedy relief. Um, so I'm just saying that, um, Emo's Pizza is not as good as old people hype it up to pee. <gasps> oh, well, I am in the old people category. Sacrilege. Hey.
Stone the millennial. <laughs> Why did you bring back. him? Stone the millennial. <laughs> I would rather get Domino's or oh, a gosh, um, bowling yeah. alley pizza oh. is much well, better. Okay, now the bowling alley pizza is pretty good. It is. Yeah. That's not, I'm not going to disagree there, but... <laughs> I do think Emos is worth the hype. I, if, it, if left unattended, it's got Proville cheese. How's it not? Through, whew, I can yeah. tear through a whole pizza. Mm. Not, a, not. I thought you were going to do the math one. Oh, or is that the two kinds of? That's people? the two kinds of. People. Okay, never mind. Ruined it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, it's a bitter pill to take a 19 year old to dinner and he doesn't appreciate. Lunch. Yeah. Hey. Oh, especially like a emo, poor so. college student. Jeez. He bought his. I he bought his lunch though. He did. He bought. You it. went into Emos with your lunch? Oh no no. Yeah. no. Oh you don't. He bought it. He I bought his it. and I bought mine. Yeah. 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 That was a pretty bold move. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like Emos this much. I'm bringing my own food. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just saying. I it's dumb. It's just an old old guy. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying. Nailed it. I, I was eating tonight and and talking to Denise and. I apparently sucked some of my food down. About choked to death for about an hour. It's like I got to relearn eating. I, at, at this point in life, it's. it's <laughs> I already know that's how I'm going out. I'm going to be <laughs> inhaling peanuts in the kitchen. Asphyxiating. That's carrot, how right? I'm going out. That's for well. Sure. I about killed myself two weeks ago with uh, my morning vitamins and the such. <laughs> and so w one of our resident medical people here told me the trick of using jelly. I am to that point of old age. I'm using oh, jelly no. to help pills get down. That's what we I, I was singing about Korean in my pills. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to watch seeing him put medicine in jelly every morning. Should we get you a pill Hey, but it's pressure? apple butter and it's good stuff, man. I'm telling you. Nothing like taking your metformin in a big <laughs> scoop of jelly. Uh, We've graduated to Olympic Terra. <laughs> yeah. And that's shot form. So Ooh. anyway. Um, so I'm just saying I'm not often brilliant, but I <laughs> gave up uh, Facebook quite a while ago. I mean, like years, because okay. I said, I just feel like uh, all I do is compare myself to other people. I just think it, you know, comparison is the stealer of joy. And right. anyway, and I it just kind of went off on this rant and decided, you know what, it's not for me. Um, anyway, I was watching this news feed and it had this big bit on how social people should limit and reduce greatly their use of social media. Mm. Why? Because it causes comparison and it makes people depressed and feel bad about Look themselves. There. I'm like, hey, I've been saying that for like three, four years you now. You're ahead of the curve. They caught up. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, yeah, man. I'm not a Facebook hater, but no, I'm but not a lover. <laughs> right. Well, and I have yet to give in to it. Uh, there are reasons and benefits of it, uh, really on a business side more than on a you know, social side, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I just, I know myself too well. I, I, I would not have as long a term of pastoring as I had <laughs> if I had got on Facebook. I just wouldn't. Step one, know your limitations. Know your limitations. <laughs> the eminent <laughs> theologian Clint Eastwood said, every man's got to know his limitations. Yeah, man. All right. So, so for our second topic tonight, we have a mystery topic. So how, how are we going to pick? Because we're down to, uh, well, normally you haven't got to do yours yet. I haven't done one yet. I would ask my Siri to pick a number between one and two, but. So will Siri do that? <laughs> Just say Siri. So it would be one and three. Or wait. Just the two of you are down to you two. Tony's done his? Oh, Tony, do you have a mystery topic tonight? Kind, kind of. It's Bring it on then. Oh, one yeah. and three. So All right. Tony's three. <laughs> okay, hang on a second. got to get into my phone, which is not the you got to remember thing. the password. Yeah, how do you get to Siri? Oh, heavens. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Don't you just ask for her? Hey, Siri, hey, Siri, give me a number from one, three. One. 
It was one. Oh, it's you, Ben. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, and, and mine's quick because we only got nine minutes according because if the trek comes in at, at uh, 740. Uh, weeks ago now, we were talking about the um, World Missions Day that's coming up, uh, I think, February the 23rd. Anyway, we will take up an offering uh, here for our, it be February the 20th. And uh, the topic of faith giving, and I, I'm pretty sure that we have covered this uh, in this setting, BRH, sometime in the last seven years. But as a church, I have not pushed this, and, and I would like for us to, you know, prayerfully consider, basically what it is is you just ask the Lord, uh, give me an amount, Lord, and I'm going to pray for that amount. If you provide it, I'm going to give it. If you don't provide it, it's on you. And if you and, want to give a little more? Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it's above and beyond what, you know, because I, you know, let's just say that every World Missions Sunday, your family gives $100, okay? Well, this is above and beyond that. You're still going to give that money type deal because that's what you do every year. But now you're asking the Lord to supernaturally provide additional finances uh, for missions. A and it, it works. He, he does it. Uh, now, if he doesn't do it, that's on him. If he does do it, you've seen him work in an area that you specifically asked him to do. Uh, the We used to push faith giving in the Baptist Missionary Association a lot, and maybe it was more of an Arkansas thing. I don't know. But uh, faith giving, I think, is, is, is a good exercise of faith uh, to ask the Lord, show, show yourself. Show yourself in this area. One, the, the, the famous story uh, way back when was this fellow that did odd jobs. And so he knew what he needed uh, to get each week to make the bills and all that. And so during this challenge, he told the Lord, anything you give me beyond that, we'll go to missions. After about six weeks, he come to the preacher and says, can I ask the Lord to stop? Because <laughs> the Lord was just inundating him with new jobs. And so, you know, I, I know it works. And, and I've seen God do it in my own life and the such. And, and you, you really... You really control how, how it's done. Uh, you can get as specific with the Lord as you want to, whether it's attached to a service that you do for someone or he just supernaturally provides it. A check's going to come in the mail type thing. I've seen him do it. And so uh, that was – I'm done. But I, And if you guys want to ask questions or, or comment, yeah, maybe Don you've Smith got – brought this kind of – brought yeah, this to Bethel here. Absolutely. Faith, faith promise giving, yeah, I think. Faith promise giving, faith giving, yeah. Yep. You, you – you and the Lord establish a challenge, and whether it's attached to, you know, service again, and those monies are going to go to the Lord, or asking for a number and Him supernaturally providing it. And, and when you get it, you know that this isn't for me. This is for the Lord, you know. Uh, so anyway, an example would be you say, okay, Lord, an additional $100. I'm asking for an additional $100 to give to faith giving and then the next week your boss calls you and says hey we you know we shorted you a hundred bucks here it is you know or whatever we we've really impressed with your service we, we just want to bless you and and who knows and, and you might think yeah not my boss well you might be surprised when you start giving the lord letting him know i'm not going to use that hundred dollars to go buy ammo <laughs> not that i know anybody that does that um i, I might <laughs> tony might know someone anyway so I have a funny story from college. Not that I would advise college students to ever do this, but in big cities they'll run uh, like medical research studies and <laughs> where better to find guinea pigs than college students that are broke. 
So I signed up to do a medical research study. Now, on a, I don't know, fill in the blank drug. I don't know if it was going to be an infusion or like, reaction? no, oh. I got, I got selected to do the study. I had to wear a heart monitor, get a chest x-ray, a series of blood work, a whole test up, like whole workup, every test they How could throw money? at you. So it was going to be $600, Ooh, which that's a lot of I mean, let me say, that's a semester. hello, that, I mean, this was 20 years ago and yeah. I was baroque. So $600 was like, oh my gosh. I just broke. Yeah. And I was just like, God, if I can get in this study um, where I'm going to get experimented on, um, <laughs> I'm going to tie. That explains <laughs> a lot. I, <laughs> I know, all the pieces fit now. Nebraska. I am going <laughs> to. <laughs> Nebraska, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> Oh, I am going to tie. Omaha. I'm going to tie $75. Like, I was like, I'm going to tie. Yeah, there you go. Above. Above. You know, so, yeah, that, you yeah, know, yeah. like, I could, the, I could do the math. Big spender. Right. So, uh, you know, so this is me in my college years of just, you know, ramen noodle living. So, uh, the day comes around for me to actually show up for, you know, to spend the night. And I brought all my bags and I'm packed for the weekend to hang out at this medical facility and get, you know, I don't know, take a pill. I, I don't need, I didn't, you know. <laughs> And they're like, we canceled your study. And I thought, oh, man, darn. I was like, I already knew what I needed to spend the money on. And, I mean, it wasn't clothes and getting my nails done. Like, I needed to pay some, some bills. Books. And they're like, well, here's your check, Ooh. $750. And I was like, oh, I was going to tithe 75 And he gave, I got $750 and didn't really ever do the study. They still paid they you. They still paid me. And I was like, wow. yes. When? Now, was a Republican you know, in office? Maybe. <laughs> I'm just curious. Sorry. Did that maybe come out loud? Maybe it was supposed to shut down my kidneys, and God was like, nope, Tara, we're not doing <laughs> this today. We're not, this is not my plan for you, so I'm going to chop this one off at the... Where can I sign it. up? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. They probably pay more than 600 bucks now. Oh, but yeah. I did tithe. I was like, oh, I I'm bet just, you did. going straight to church. <laughs> they were probably like, what college student tithe? Those? Yeah, no Jeez. doubt. I love it. We faith-giving pro- story. Probably the, and uh, in, in, on the whole money to church level. Okay, so separating it from everything else, the the funnest conversation I ever had was with a couple that showed up at church one day, and basically said, "We we don't know anything about your church, but we live close, and we basically got saved over the internet." They found the gospel over the internet, and, and I mean, we, I, we talked, and I probed, and I asked questions, and they, it was the same gospel that I preach and, and that I know, so I don't have any reason to doubt their salvation experience, and they said, but we've been going through some discipleship classes now online, and it tells us and teaches us that we need to tithe to a church, Well, we don't have a home church, so will you receive our tithe? <laughs> and I said, may your tribe increase. You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> B E T H E L. I just started spelling the name, you know. But it, but and, and they they were wonderful, wonderful people. I think I've said this before, but when it comes to just regular tithing, I had a great Sunday school teacher, and I was young. I mean, you know, maybe ten, eleven years old, and she was teaching about tithing, and she said, um, "Well, when you earn money." Where does the money come from? It's not just you showing up and working. God's given you the physical ability. He's given you the mental capacity. He's given you every reason to show up and work and earn the money. It's already his. And that left a mark. I mean, I was young, and I still remember that. So I've worked since I was 13. And tithing's just as much a part of me as just anything. It's just like breathing. It's just you do it. 
Um, when John and I met, I was like, okay, here's something you need to know. <laughs> I don't know what you, your typical right. practice is, but right. 10% right off the top, yeah. it, it has to go to tithe. It doesn't yeah. go to anything else first. It's the mark of ownership. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're the right. stewards. We're not the owners. We're the stewards. Mm. Good stuff. And that wasn't even a segment today, no. tithing. But no. That was free. Snuck it in there. That's right. We're, we're waiting on track now. Uh, we literally could line the church with people because through 25 years, I've had people over and over and over and over and over talk about God's faithfulness to them. And there was always an extra level, if you will, of faithfulness that came as a result of them submitting to tithing. And in other words, it was like God just went out of his way to prove to them and show to them, I'm going to take care of you. I do, I, I'm asking you. I want you. You know, I don't know that we can ever use the word need appropriately with God. He needs nothing. He stands alone. But he does ask us to discipline ourselves in this area because he is the steward. He owns it all. It's all his. You know, if you, if you, if you, want, if you need something from God, Give it to somebody else. Amen. So, so the the process starts when you open the spigot. <laughs> so you, you pass it on to somebody else, and God can never, God. never lets you go uncovered. Amen. Amen. So, Tony, did you have a, um, there's two types of people in this world? Yes. There are two kinds of people in the world. The ones who know and pursue to learn about math and those who want to be happy. <laughs> um, I'm the happy people. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I'd say there's two types of people in this world. Those who like winter and everybody else. Yeah. Yep. Yikes. Yeah. Amen to that. My husband is a winter. Really? And I'm definitely a summer. So I was like, we have to live in Missouri because, you know, best of both worlds. Best of both because worlds. Because I can't live any farther north and he can't live any, any farther, farther south. south. So. <laughs> well, the advantages of winter, you can put more clothes on. The disadvantages of summer, there are social laws against taking too many clothes Those off. are good laws, too. They are good laws. They're there for a reason. All right. Well, our distinguished, honored guests have arrived, and, and so we're, we're finally into the hard questions, okay? So Gavin's going to do most of the talking. No, I'm, Heard that. Well, he will do quite a bit, I'm sure. Uh, we, and i got to get to my notes here, guys. Since God knew and planned everyone's life, why didn't he make Satan the devil from the start instead of an angel? And that is a very good question. I know I've said that about every question, but it, they just really it's, are. It's a good question. It's yeah. a good question. It's a fair question. And, uh, but that question is so easy, I'm going to let Gavin answer it. Again, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, he is going to weigh in on this. The, the, the simple answer is, is that, uh, again, everything that God has created has had free will. The angels have free will. We have free will. And so he did not make the angel uh, Beelzebub the devil. Beelzebub made himself the devil by choosing to try to overcome God. And so uh, the angel Beelzebub had a choice to serve God as all the other angels did type thing up to that point. But he got to a point of pride, and he believed he was better than God, so he tried to take over. Now, that's the simple answer. Gavin, what would you add to that? So the, the uh, everybody has their own sugar stick, the, th the subject that they dwell on, and freedom is mine. And the way God made us free from the beginning, and he had to make us free in the beginning, if we were ever to experience love genuinely, 
if you are forced into a relationship, it's demeaning to you. It, it's not genuinely love. So somebody forces you to live with them, forces you to, to hold hands or whatever. It's not, it, it's not a, a relationship that's genuine and, and healthy. healthy. It's demeaning to one. It's demeaning to both, honestly. Um, so God had to make a, us as a free moral agent is the, um, the terminology terminology from, from religion. So we're free and we're, we're made free so that we can experience love. And the Bible tells us that God is love. So God in, in his wisdom knew that we would never be able to understand or experience him without freedom. So freedom is the necessary condition for love to be understood and appreciated and to be genuine and to be meaningful. Um, so uh, with God being love, the Bible tells us God is love. Freedom is a, is a, it's mandatory for us to really experience him because we, he wants people to genuinely, in freedom, people who have the choice to not uh, embrace a relationship with him, to choose to have a relationship with him. So he granted us that, that freedom so that we could experience him. Now, getting back to the question here, it, it, since God knew and planned everyone's life, why didn't he make Satan the devil from the start instead? So if, if that, that's just it. We all have the choice to become our worst person or to embrace a relationship with God and to experience life in the, in the context he intended it. So freedom is at the... It's sometimes a very misunderstood topic, and it's part of who God is. It's why we're created with freedom, because we're made in his image. Freedom is a characteristic that we share with him so we can better relate to him. Um, so have you guys ever heard the, the uh, question or the statement that God is either all-powerful or he's all-good, but he can't be both? You ever heard that statement? He's either all-powerful or he's all good, but he can't be both. If he was all good and all powerful, he would stop evil. He wouldn't allow evil to happen. He wouldn't allow anybody to get hurt. If he was all good and all powerful, but if he was all powerful, then he must not be all good because he's allowed all this evil to go on without stopping. We're going to get into that in the second okay, question. So is, is that the second question? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm you're jumping good. Ahead here. Uh, but but the, that completely washes over or um, skips over freedom, the topic of freedom. Very good. Anything you want to add to the angel, devil? All right. So why does God make bad things happen to us? Uh, th this is the question that must be addressed in every sector of society. And, and it really is at the crux of what Gavin was talking about there uh, in that second part. This question, very honestly, is pretty much where everything hangs when it comes to whether or not people are going to listen to the claims of Christ. Now, I want to address that, that, that terminology, the claims of Christ. What are the claims of Christ? The claims of Christ are that he's God and that the only way to heaven is through him. Those are the claims of Christ. And we, according to Christ, without him, none of us are going to see God. That's some serious stuff. Uh, in John 14, 6, it says, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is Jesus talking. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that, that's a claim of Christ. Well, uh, part of the problem of our society with the claims of Christ, well, if you're all that, why are you letting bad things happen? Or according to the question, why are you making? You're all powerful, so you're obviously in charge. Well, 
So uh, let me start over again. Very honestly, it's pretty much where everything hangs when it comes to whether or not people are going to listen to the claims of Christ and the such because the devil, the world, and our flesh has effectively crafted an argument against any idea that an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, ever-present God can be real, much less existing because all of the bad stuff that happens. And so there's several things that I think we should think about. Maybe even our fle- or we should flesh out here as we answer this question. First of all, is it a fair question? Is the question, why does God make bad things happen? Is that a fair question? I believe that it is a question that's based on an untrue premise. Now think about that. God can handle this question easily, to be honest with you. With that said, my first question that I would have for someone that has this question is, why does God make bad things happen? Let's face it again. At some point, all of us have this question. You ready? Who told you that God is at fault for any of this mess? Where did we get that? Where did we get the idea that Hitler killing how many Jews? Six million. Six million Jews. How did we ever get the idea that that's God's fault? I I really believe we need to think that through, okay? Uh, Well, we, we didn't get this information from the Bible. Did you hear it from a friend? Well, where did you get that? Because the question itself is based on a faulty premise. Another way we could frame the question would be not why does God make bad things happen, but why does God allow bad things happen? Now, that is a question I believe is an accurate question. Well, another way, once you start to understand God and who we are in our responsibility to the fault, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Because that's a fair question too. So, just trying to show you that there's a lot here. So, some clarifications. I do want, uh, that I want to make. The Christian world view is where you and I are trying to get to. We're trying to get to the point, hey guys, listen, we're trying to get to the point where we understand that we think about the world the way God has made the world. There's a certain way it's made up, and if once we understand that, we can really answer these types of questions. So, I'm going to cut to the chase because I want other people to be able to talk. It was in the Garden of Eden that both the author and the originator of sin introduced sin to this world. And that's whose fault it is. It's the author's fault that we have all the bad baloney that's going on in this world, and it's the originator of sin's fault. Do you know who those two people are? Neither one of them's God. The devil and starts with an A. Adam. That's right. The devil is the author of all sin. And the originator is Adam. That's right. And so those are the people that it's fault. It's our fault, if you will. We are a sinner by nature. We're a sinner by birth, and we're a sinner by choice. And so all of the put expletive here, all of the baloney that happens on this planet is our fault, if you will. It's the author, the devil's fault. God does not have the fault. Now, does he allow it? Absolutely, or he's not God. And so for me, I take great comfort in the fact that 
Job's family of ten dying was not God's idea. Job's financial wealth gone was not God's idea. Job's physical health gone was not God's idea. It was the devil's. Six million dead Jews. Six million dead Jews was not God's idea. Uh, Someone's mother or father having cancer was not God's idea, so on and so forth. Did he allow it to happen? Absolutely. He's God. But was it his idea? Not necessarily. And and if I could just piggyback right onto that summary there. All all of the things that bad that have happened from the beginning of time was a huge risk that God knew was possible. When he made man free, he knew that that was a huge risk. He took the, the risk of eternity when he made man free and all of this junk that has happened that uh, Brother Ben has just mentioned and listed here. But I want to, I just want to point out God knew that that was a possibility, but he did it anyway. And I want to say that because love is that important. The real experiences of God's love is that important, that, that he would risk the possibility that people would not choose him and not choose good, but he wants you to know a real relationship with him that's genuine and voluntary of your own choice. It's that important. Well, I was just thinking about how some people never really think about God. They're living their life. They're going day in and day out, successful people, nice things. They're not thinking about God until something bad happens. And then immediately it's, why did God allow this to happen? Or even if you're watching the evening news, it's, there was a bad weather. It was an act of God. Like instantly it's right. like our society just instantly puts the blame on God. Um, I heard yet again John MacArthur, and this was hard to hear, but he said, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, quote? And he said, it's because there aren't any good people. <laughs> he said that could be the end of the book. Like they, right. you could have a book with that title, and then all you need is one sentence. There are no good people. And that's hard to hear, <laughs> but that is the reality of who we are. But... God loves us anyway and provided a way for us to be with him eternally. The, the, the best illustrative analogy, and I don't know how many of you guys have had the unfortunate privilege of being in a hospital room when something bad is going down. I have. And so this particular story is about, and this is a true story, this pastor was at a, a kid's room and this five-year-old child had just died. And the wife was a parishioner, a member of the church that he pastored. And her husband, the father of this five-year-old child that just died, uh, was not a member, was not a believer. He was what we call an atheist. And he was very mad. And that's understandable. His child just died. And he looked at the preacher and says, you tell me how a all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God could take this child. How's that even possible? And... This pastor very humbly and I feel like very expertly said, Sir, I cannot explain to you why God would allow this to happen. But whether or not God loves you has forever been answered on the cross of Christ. God proved his love for everyone on the cross of Christ. And uh, Henry Blackaby is the one that says that we've got to view everything that happens in our life with the backdrop of the cross, you know. So you're going to have bad things happen in your life. You're going to have losses of jobs. You're going to have loss of health. You're going to have loss of family, loss of loved ones. 
you need to see all of those circumstantial situations with the backdrop of the cross, knowing that God's going to love you through it. God's going to bring you through it. Uh, and, and it's so important. I've had some terrible things happen in my life, but God has brought me through every one of them. And when it comes time for me to die, he's going to bring me through that too. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And on that, on that cross, God suffered loss. Yes, so he can no relate doubt. to our losses. Yes, he can. I think we're about out of time. We are. All right. Good and, questions. And I don't know if you guys are coming up with any more questions, but if you are, give them to. We've still got plenty, but uh, if you got any more questions, let us know. Appreciate you. All right. You just give it to her. Very good. All right. We're out. Thanks so much.